our values this summer. We spent the first uh, three times that we gathered together talking about Jesus. Um, he's the first, like, uh, he's the centerpiece. He's, he's more than the centerpiece. He's like the whole reason that we're here, right? I mean, not just here, but like alive and breathing. The fact that you are on the face of this earth right now, that we aren't flying off into space and not dematerializing into cosmic dust, is the fact that Jesus, Scripture tells us, He created the world, the world by His power and He upholds it right now by the word of His power. So all the laws of physics that are at work right now to keep this universe flowing, that keeps this world spinning, that keeps the sun coming up and going down in the morning, that keeps the seasons passing, that keeps us able to breathe air, all those, all those, the laws of physics that are doing that are held together, are given power and impetus by Jesus himself. And just for that very reason, he is worth like all of our praise. Like he is worth like we our lives should be you know devoted solely and wholly to him. But the story of human history is that that's not the way that that worked, that we were created perfect in a perfect garden and like things were pretty good because it was a it was a garden that like the food was growing on the trees. I just had to pick it off and eat it. Um, Adam had a job, which was a pretty cool thing, and he had a pretty cool job. He was like management. He was getting to name all the animals that were on the earth at the time. That's a pretty cool job. And I'm sure there was some exploring and you know figuring out you know what what exactly this garden was like. And the topper of the the cherry on top of it all was that uh, he was in the garden naked with his wife. That's a pretty that's a pretty sweet situation to be in. Um, but Adam and Eve believed a lie. A lie that we as his children and children's 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 children continue to believe. That is, that there is some sense of value, there's some sense of identity, there's some sense of something out there outside of God that we need for ourselves. And so when they grasp the fruit and they bit of that fruit. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't the fact that they met an apple or a pomegranate or whatever the heck the fruit was. I think if it was an evil fruit, I'm thinking it was probably something like a fig. You know, I can't imagine an apple being, you know, but maybe it's it was pleasant, but, uh, you know, that's, that's an eye of the beholder. I think maybe it's been cursed and that's why it tasted that. Maybe it was, maybe it tasted more like a peach back in the day, but I don't know. I digress. This really has nothing to do uh, with what we're supposed to be talking about tonight. Was it tomato? Tomato? Um, technically a fruit. But, um, but when they, it wasn't about taking the bite of that fruit. It was about trying to grasp something outside of themselves and outside of God that he had reserved for himself. They believed a lie that he was holding something back from them. And that's the lie that we continue to believe today. And so Jesus not only created the world and upholds it by the word of his power, but he showed us the nature and the character of the Father in coming to the earth in the form of a servant, in the form of a man, living a perfect life, and then not only doing that, now that would have been amazing in itself, God becoming man, but to blow our minds, to blow it all out of the water, 
He paid the debt of sin that you and I owed that we could not pay. As a substitute on our behalf. So not only is Jesus worthy of our praise because like, he's created it all and he set it in motion, but he is worthy of all our praise because he has showed us amazing grace and love through his death on the cross. And then, not only that, but he rose again. And he is sitting now, seated at the right hand of the Father. Look, it's not like... This it blows my mind. Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and you know what He is? He's a human. He's one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. That didn't end after He died and rose again. He rose with His one hundred percent human body, and He is present at the right hand of the Father right now. Scripture says, making intercession for you and for me. So that's a pretty cool. God. Like, right, I mean, that's kind of an understatement, but that's a pretty cool God, and that's why the Christian religion exists. That's why the church exists. That's why we get up every day and we live for Him and we worship Him, because of all that He has done for us on our behalf. Uh, but uh, to start back at the very beginning of that story as well, let's stick with that story, our second value is not only Jesus, but it's worship. Worship. What do you guys think of, this is the interaction part, um, what do you guys think of when you think of the word worship? Just, first of all, things you're bringing. It's how you live every day. How you live every day? The breath you take, the action you take, everything you do revolves around worship, no matter if it's worship in Jesus or the devil. It's worship. Very good. You worship whatever you value the most. What's you guys think of? Word association. Praise. Praise. So like what, kind of what we just did and what we will do in the end. It's what we exalt. What we exalt. Meaning what we lift up, what we promote, what we hold as most. Um, the greatest good or what our priorities would be mm-hmm. that we allocate significance to. Anybody else? What do you think of? What we're most passionate about? What we're most passionate about? Sure. Ritual. A ritual. The um, the word worship in the dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster's, is a form of a religious practice or ritual. Um, extravagant respect or admiration for, or devotion to an object of esteem. That's what you guys kind of just described. Uh, in the Bible, the word worship uh, goes back to a, an old uh, a word in the Old Testament, a Jewish word, which means uh, to kiss the hand of or to bow down before. It's a it's an it's a uh, it's a picture of showing um, of showing that value in a way that you are the boss, I'm not. You are a value like a king, like you would approach a king or a queen. And you would bow before them, and you would kiss the hands. The eye, it has a picture of uh, of kneeling, of prostration before to do homage to, but it also has a picture of um, of coming with empty hands. Worship isn't at its heart made to be something that we bring to God. 
It's a response to saying, God, you have it all in your hands. I don't have anything in mind. I'm coming to you in the hands. That's, that's worship. The root of the word worship is worth. You guys talk about value. I mean, describing worth or value to Worship is a response of submission and joy, bringing my empty hands to Him, saying, I am created, you're the Creator, I'm dependent upon you for everything. That's what worship is. And the truth is that we were made to worship. That's what we were made to do. Um, and not only are we made to worship, but we are worshipers. Uh, so let's go back even before Adam and Eve for just a second. Let's picture. Um, <laughs> you can't do this. Let's. <laughs> I was going to say, let's picture the, the Trinity, but I don't know. I think I can <laughs> stop and, and go home. But So the idea that Scripture paints to us that, of the Trinity is that in eternity past, Okay, so already your minds are blown. Like, no outside of time, God has existed. And God has existed, Christian history tells us, in, in three persons, except, except he's one person. It doesn't, I mean, you can't get your head around it, but just stick, stick with it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally existing, three persons, but yet of one essence. One person. And the, I, the, the theologians have this term of what of the relationship um, between the Trinity, and it's called perichoresis. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a $5 word. You can write that down, or you already know what it is. Perichoresis, the picture, the idea of perichoresis is that for all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been conducting this, this is where theologians fail in words, they conducting this sort of cosmic dance. Because God is the sum total of everything, not just in the world, but everything that is good and beautiful and lovely. The way we get to this is we think, Everything that you think of in this world that is good and beautiful and lovely is good and beautiful and lovely because it's a shadow of who God is. And throughout all of eternity past, God has been enjoying His own perfections. Because there's nothing else to enjoy. He's the sum total of everything that is lovely and beautiful and wonderful. That's who he is. And so for all of eternity past, he has been in this cosmic dance of, of the Father enjoying himself as shown in the Son. And the Son enjoying himself as shown in the Holy Spirit. And this whole cycle and like mind-blowing a relationship of love and friendship and beauty and perfection inside the Trinity. And at one point, there was like an explosion out of the Trinity. And that's what we call creation. 
It was an explosion of God's beauty, His wonderfulness, if I can make up a word. His amazingness. He exploded it in creating the universe. And that's what we mean when we say the universe reflects the glory of God. The glory of God, if you've ever heard that term, is when God goes public with His beauty. His inner excellencies is when He puts it on display for people to see. And that's what creation was. And then, in creation, He forms. And this is something different. Everything else in creation, He speaks into existence, right? You ever read the Genesis account? He spoke and let there be light and you know, the animals, and for some reason, mosquitoes. I don't understand that one. But, you, know, um, you know, I don't know. Um, but then, in the middle of creation, he takes dust out of the earth, and he forms something. What does he form? Man. He forms man. And then what does he do? He breathes into man. So man is of the earth, Part of creation. Or what else is he? Part of God. Absolutely. That's what theologians call the Imago Dei, the image of God. We were created in God's image. And it's sort of like this. I heard this strata one time. This is one of the best examples I've ever heard that man was created to be like a mirror that's slanted like this. And if you view this is creation and this is God, and this is our 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 place, because we're of creation, but we're not just creation, we're something different, right? We have, or we're made with spirit, and it's God's, in His image. And then, we're made of His image, but we're not God, right? We're, he's different than us, He is other than us, we are of the earth. And so He made us to be like a mirror that reflects creation to God, and God back to creation. So that's why he, he gave Adam and Eve a job in the, very, in the very beginning. He said, go subdue the earth, have dominion. Inherent in that command is, like, go out and build buildings and create societies, make cities, uh, discover science, discover electricity, and make iPads, which was awesome. And <laughs> all that is inherent in the cultural mandate of us reflecting this this image of God, this creation ability, this creator ability that we have within us that is inherent from God to take the things that are of this world and subdue it and to make things. And we were made to, to do all that and enjoy it and say, man, this is this, the ocean is beautiful. Man, this the scene of this mountain is amazing when the sun rises and the birds are chirping. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's supposed to stir things within us and we're supposed to take all of that and gather it up and write poetry and, and dance and, and, and draw and paint, which none of that can I, can I do, but to do all of that and reflect that back to Him and say, man, you are amazing. And we see your amazingness in all this amazingness. But that was broken when Adam and Eve decided to look for identity and value outside of somebody, outside of God. That was broken. And so Romans chapter 1, let's look there. A side note, um, 
what we're doing here on Sunday nights in our in these gatherings are going to obviously it's going to be very different than when we get down the road and we actually launch. Um, generally, we'll be working expositorily, um, working through books of the Bible, chapters of the Bible, verse by verse. Um, but what we're doing this summer is different. We're sort of systematic in that we're setting down our sort of our DNA. So um, it's a little bit different than what we do. We'll be doing in the future. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How? Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So that's that part that we were talking about. That we were, were made to look around and see the amazingness that surrounds us and to say, to be able to say, there must be a God. There is a God. And we should see that He is powerful and that He is divine. Um, Ever since the creation of the world, and the things have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, that means all of man has seen that He exists from our surroundings from creation. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, for they became what? Futile. Futile. What does that What does that word mean? Pointless, worthless, absolutely. They became futile, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming, claiming to be wise, they what? Became fools. Became fools. And exchanged the glory. Remember we just find what glory was? It was God goes public with his beauty. It's the uh, external showcase of his internal elegances, elegancies. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things that we worship by nature now. The creation instead of the creator. Well, the thing is, it didn't say they stopped worshiping. It just says they exchanged worship of one thing for the worship of other things, right? So they exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images, resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. Um, how, so in, in American society, modern American society, uh, I, I was just in India uh, a couple of months ago, and you drive down the road and you see like an idol over here, an idol over here, and people lining up to worship the idols and uh, bringing them food. You see the offerings that they bring to them. So it's pretty apparent they're worshiping some, a creative thing other than the creator. But in modern American society, um, we don't have that, do we? Hmm. Do we? Can you guys give me examples of how maybe in our society we we do this? Money. Money. So. So. When a when hmm. a movie star dies, they put all that. Stuff out in front of our home. Billions, billions of dollars in the industry, just not just in making movies, but in following movie stars who star in movies. 
Why? Do some more ways. We do it. We do it trying to maintain beauty. People spend hours and hours and hours of attention. There's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, some people just throw it away. Spend hours on that. They spend hours thinking about what they're eating and what they don't want, shouldn't eat, and planning out their next diet, and you know, going to the doctor to get this tucked and pulled, and you know, going to the store to try to buy clothes to make them feel. You know, beautiful. I'm really just trying to. They want they want people to find value in them. I think a lot. They can feel good about themselves, but they want the people to value them. We worship money in America, but we increasingly worship beauty. Increasingly worship. Your pastor wants to be playing, getting ready for it, and AGM watching a sporting event. Like worship, because he's got everything he needed, he was ready, nobody could disturb him, and this was his time, and he spent, you know, and he was talking and equating that to worship, you know, the, the, the energy and the time that he involved in watching a sporting event. He happened to be for Dallas, but he's not such a good team. Science and secular humanism. Yeah, how so? Um, mm. it, in an effort to take God out of the equation, people have looked to humankind to being this great, awesome group who's capable of doing it on their own, and they use science to back that up somehow. They twist what science really uh -oh. is into what they want it to be to make it to where humans are just the pinnacle and the best of everything, uh -oh. the most evolved, whatever they may call it. Oh, yes, think of any other example? Pleasure and feeling good. Absolutely. Like emotional, especially if you think of anything like it's ridiculous. What works for you is right, as long as it works for you. It brings pleasure to you, feels good to you, doesn't hurt anybody else. Why not? What else? Any, any other ideas? Technology. Technology? Do you, mean, do, you mean like Apple, do you mean like Apple products? <laughs> it was kind of a cult. I'd rather go back to uh, secular humanism. People do it with education. Yeah. And why? What underlies all of these things that we worship outside of outside of God? These idols. I mean, you guys are saying these replace the idols that are on the street corners. In, in general, none of these things are bad. You know, it just depends on whether or not it becomes something that, like, working out good if you want to get healthy, like there's nothing wrong with it. It's okay, watch the phone. Okay. So when that becomes your central focus, it's like what you think about, it's what you hold up. And we've seen people, they're driving down the road, and I mean, I'm all about Dallas, but I'm not going to decorate my car, you know. You see them, I mean, you do, and it's the, all the garb, and you know, constantly. When that thing becomes your central focus in life, people are looking for value somewhere. Particularly if you're a Gamecock fan, that's unhealthy. You know. Woo! Sorry, I digress. I don't like to get beat. I'm nervous. Hey, you're allowed to have a nice hat. 
I mean, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote that he had trouble before he became a believer with these kind of passages in Scripture because it, he said it felt like an old woman begging for a, uh, a compliment, right? You, you know when somebody goes fishing for a compliment, like, oh, well, I just look terrible these days. And then when you say, no, you look amazing, and your hair looks great. Like, Dan told me, I love your hair today. <laughs> um, I didn't go fishing for that. It was just totally off the wall. It was a joke, by the way. You feel it was so um, but it sounds, it could sound like an old woman fishing for a compliment. Why would Almighty Creator God command them, you will not worship anybody else? Because if you focus on worshiping Him, you won't worship anything else. Because if you're worshiping else, it's not good. And if you focus on it, if you tell us to do it, we're stupid people, we need to be told what to do. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, it's for our, our benefit. You know, um, all the commandments are, are for our benefit. And that commandment, if you focus on him first, then everything else has its place. Yeah, he knew that we would worship other things. He knew that he created us to worship him. And only when we're worshiping him will we look at the A washing machine created a wash clothes. We're creating to worship, and he knew that. And he's like, if you do it with anything else, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss I have a cousin that used to put fish in the washing machine to scale. Well, that might work, but that's not what it was created for. We were not created to worship anything but him, and I think that's why he commands it. It's like, that's the only way it's going to work. The only way the washing machine's going to work is to put clothes in it, not fish. Yay. I mean, seriously. Y'all think I'm kidding. He really did. Yeah. He has a washing machine just to scale fish. He's swear that, to work. That's my own family. That's super <laughs> I love this technology. Look how fast it scales fish. I don't know what this machine does. It's a great fish scaler. But we were created to worship God, not scale fish or anything else. He's telling us, do it this way. This is what it's created for. You lost me on that one. I got to have I'm a picture. So sorry, I just picture like I don't want to be the next set of clothes. We're created to worship God. Yes. Yes. And we're going to worship. He's uh, he's like, let's get it right. Worship me. That's what you were created for. It's like if God made us a toaster. If so we're trying to use a toaster. She's the same thing. Thank you. If so we're trying to use a toaster as a car. The toaster wouldn't work. Well, that's a toaster for you. This is not an existential question. <laughs> what if we're riding the back of the turtle? Stick with the toaster. Yeah, I think there's two reasons here that he tells us, that he commands us. Um, one is, you guys already mentioned it, that we will worship. You don't have to try to worship. You are putting value and security, you're finding your identity in something. For all of Every person who passes by here today is finding their value and identity in something. And those things that we find our value and identity in, we worship those things. Uh, I have buddies who are crazy, crazy, crazy sports fans. And I love sports. I love sports. And I used to be Elated when Clemson won and depressed when they lost. And I was more depressed 
Being a Clemson fan felt like I actually felt like I was, you know, scripture talks about vessels that were created for uh, unholy use. Like that's I really felt like that. Like it's Clemson just takes you high enough and then drops you off a cliff every single time. So the the problem wasn't that Clemson chokes in the big game, which is a problem. But that wasn't my problem. My problem was that I was finding my identity and value in Clemson, which is pretty crazy when you consider this bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-old guys who are like, you know, probably not valedictorians of the class, most of them running around on, on, on a grass field, right? I mean, to place my value and security and identity in them, that's setting myself up for disappointment. It's pretty stupid, but we do that all the time because we will find value, we'll ascribe value to something, and we worship that thing. The second thing is for our own good. The second truth, I won't take you to the scripture, but it's in there, is that we become like what we worship. That's an absolute truth. If you worship a particular movie star, or movie stars in general, then you will do your best to dress, and act, and carry yourself like them, because that's what you put in your value. If you're a musician and you find your, your idols are musicians, you're going to start to what, you know, dress like them. You know, Karen, I remember back in the, the 90s, everybody had their guitars way down here because, you know, some of the grudge bands, you know, playing down by their knees. That's what they did. It was very uncomfortable. You asked them, you know, how was it? They said, no, it's terrible. It's very uncomfortable to play down here, but that's what, you know, so and so did. That's what they, they did. We become like what we worship. That's the absolute truth. That's the two reasons that God doesn't want us to worship anybody else or anything else. Because we we will worship. Number two, we become like what we worship, so it's for our own benefit. And number three, nobody else is deserving of it. So just justice demands that He gets it all. Okay, let's um. We can bring this thing into a, a part here. Um, look at Matthew 15. Let's think now about Christian worship. Matthew 15, verse 7. This is Jesus talking. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors you with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrine, the commandments of men. What is he, what is he saying there about worship? Is it possible to worship him but to be empty? Oh, yeah. Be not pleasing to him? Oh, yeah. It's actually not worship then. Because worship must include our hearts and affections. Worship is not a discipline that we do. You don't discipline yourself into living a life of worship. You live a life of worship by having your heart affections changed so that you find your identity and value and security in the one who deserves it all. It's possible to go through the motions and it all look great. We honor him with our lips, 
but our hearts are far, far from Him. And that is vain, vain worship. It has to be a result of our affections being stirred for Him. And then let's look at what stirs our affections. Ephesians chapter chapter 1, verse 6. made to worship. There is such a thing as proper worship. But it's less about, in fact, it's very little about what kind of songs we sing or what kind of church we go to or even really about the things that we do. Because you could be doing all the right things and it's vanity, it's empty. And this is what stirs our affections properly. Ephesians 1, verse 6. I'm going to skip around. I'm going to back up. This is such a great passage. Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In Love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. What? To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the what? The praise of His glory. Look at verse 12. Um, 14. We'll, we'll just read, we'll read down. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What? To the praise of His glory. Then look at chapter 2, verse 7 through 10. I'm going to go back up again. Verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, when you were dead in your trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that. So this is the reason He did all that. This is the reason Jesus came and died as a substitute for you. And He has given you new life in Him and has, has taken away your sin. This is why. So that. This is why He did it. In the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He did all that so He could show us how kind He was Verse 8, 4, by the grace, by grace you have been saved. Unmerited favor. Through faith. And this is not what we're doing. It is the what? The gift of God, not a result of works. So that what? Why did he do it that way? Why did he why did he engineer that salvation would be by grace through faith, not of works? So that 
So we don't get the glory. <laughs> so none of us says, yeah. You know what? You know why I'm a Christian? You know why I'm like, going to be with Jesus forever? It's because I heard somebody talk about it and I had the good sense to believe it. <laughs> or, you know, because I've lived more, I've done more good things than bad things. I'm going to be alright. Why do you design it by grace through faith? So that He would get all the glory and we would get so when we see what Jesus has done for us, it creates worship. It stirs our affections. It changes our heart. And when we feel our affection waning, the answer isn't to discipline yourself and to do the right things. Air quotes. I like air quotes. The key is to look at what Jesus has done for you on your behalf and be broken by it. And to feel his love flowing to you and flowing to me. And his hands, and his feet, and his side. That creates a life of worship. Because it was an infinite sacrifice of infinite value. We can only give all that we have and all that we are back to Him. And that's why we come to Him with empty hands, without knees. Kissing his hand. Because he laid it all in line. He did not have to. And we absolutely had to have that. There was no other way. And so, on earth, we are worshipers. Now we are made to be worshipers. We see what he has done and creates proper worship from our hearts. Do you know what you're going to be doing a hundred years from now? I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. <laughs> Except, I know, I'm going to be worshiping Jesus. And a hundred years from now, do you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be worshiping the risen Christ. And do you know what you're going to be doing a thousand years from now? A thousand, thousand years from now? Well, we've got. I'm going to take your extra time. I'm going to look at Revelation. You don't have to turn there if you don't like. But just every time we get a glimpse into heaven, we see it in Isaiah, we see it all the way through the Old Testament, and then in Revelation, we see it over and over again. Every time that we get a glimpse of heaven, this is what's going on. Revelation 4 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. It sounds like, I mean, he's grasping a straw as to how to describe it. 
A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I don't know what that means. How could a rainbow have the appearance of an emerald? Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, as it were, it's grasping again, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox. Don't get caught up on this. The third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him. They keep on doing it. They never get tired of it. They can't help themselves because they, they're seeing Him in His glory, the public display of His beauty and perfection. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. And we, and when he, that's Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before, what does it say before? The Lamb. In heaven, will forever be praising the Lamb that was slain for us, each holding a heart and golden bowls full, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take a scroll and to open its seals. Why is he worthy? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. You haven't just created us to worship um, like it's something that we can then do. You, you've created us as worshipers, and in that way, we are created in your image. We all ascribe value and worth and gather our identity and sense of value for whatever we uh, Wherever we put that value on. Father, we as believers, we know the one who is worthy of all worth, of all praise, and all glory, and all honor. And yet we forget. And so once again, we thank you for re-reminding us what we were created for. And I pray that as you draw people uh, to be a part of this, of this family, of this church. That you would create a people 
We're cognizant of the fact that we are worshipers. And that all of life is worship. And that you would create a community of people who worship you in spirit and truth, who are very real about where we are, when our affections have waned, that we would look to you, the Lamb who is that you would create, that you would win other worshipers in this area who worship vain idols today to worship the one and only true Creator God, the one for whom they're created. In the name of Jesus.